Hey, Lighthouse Niagara family, this is Pastor Joel Sloss. I hope that the message you received today blesses you so, so much. This morning, it is, it is not me who will be sharing the word, but uh, as, as some of you know and some of you may not know, this morning we are welcoming Teen Challenge, uh, who, who uh, children are dismissed. <laughs> children are dismissed. We are welcoming Teen Challenge. For those who don't know, uh, I'm not originally from Niagara Falls. I'm not originally from Peterborough, where I did my uh, schooling. Uh, but I'm originally from London, Ontario, which is the home of Teen Challenge and, and the farm. Uh, and and I'm, I, I know only a little. My, my home church, Church in the Oaks, from, from back uh, in, in London, where my uncle is, is serving as the lead pastor, we had strong ties with uh, Teen Challenge. And so it is my sincere pleasure and honor to welcome Warren, who is the team lead uh, for, for Teen Challenge uh, this morning, who will share a little bit more with us. Thank you, Warren. Good morning, church. I just want to start off by thanking you for hosting us today, especially Pastor David that's not here at the moment, but Pastor Joel's been doing such a great job. Um, my name's Warren. I'm the client life assistant at Teen Challenge. And one thing that we get to celebrate together is celebrating lives every single day. So uh, going on to the next slide. So as an overview for today, we'll walk through uh, a couple points. Uh, first, we'll go through, we'll learn about addiction in Canada. Next, we'll learn about, uh, hear about Teen Challenge Canada. And then third, uh, probably the most important part, the testimonies. And then fourth is we're going to talk about how you can partner with us. Going on to our next slide, uh, the Canadian Mental Health Association estimates that in Canada, nearly 6 million people will meet the criteria for addiction in their lifetime. In 2021, if you look at the population, it was at 36 million people. So you can see one in six people will meet that criteria. Going on to the next slide, the state of addiction in Canada. In 2017 alone, substance abuse cost Canadians a total of $46 billion annually. Examples of this is healthcare, rehab centers, and harm reduction uh, efforts that are taken. Going on into our next slide, it says, what influences addiction? Like, what criteria was mentioned earlier? People with six or more serious adverse childhood experiences are 4,600% more likely to abuse substances. A couple of examples of this is a divorce in the family, a parent that uses or abuses, or even growing up in a bad neighborhood. These are just examples. Going on into our next slide, who gets addicted? Addiction does not discriminate. People of all ages from all walks of life. The next slide is our mission. Our mission is to help men and women overcome substance addictions to lead full and productive lives. If you look at the Bible, this is John 10.10 as our mission. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but the Lord comes to give life in abundance. So on to our next slide. Does anybody not know what Teen Challenge is? Awesome, a couple of people, awesome. So uh, Teen Challenge is a 12-month in-house faith-based drug and alcohol rehabilitation program. And this started in 1958 with David Wilkerson, a very God-fearing man. He had something in his heart say, 
why am I spending two hours every evening watching the TV? So he's like, you know what, Lord, I'm going to take that time away and I'm going to spend that time with you. He spent two hours every day and then he noticed the TV was just there. So he's like, you know what, I'm going to put it in the paper. And he put a certain date that he wants to sell it by. As the day started progressing, he noticed that nobody was interested in the TV until the last second. And he sold the TV for the price that he wanted to sell it for. And going forward from that, he noticed the, a magazine on his table that showed four young men that were accused and convicted for the murder of a handicapped child in a park. His heart moved to that. He was from a small country town and he went over to New York and he really petitioned for these guys. And the Lord used him in such a magnitude that Teen Challenge came out of that. So that is what Teen Challenge is. So at this time, I'll actually call up Jared. Uh, he's going to share his story of how God's working in his life. Let's give him a hand. Hi, everybody. Uh, I'm just going to read about what uh, God has done for me over the last uh, couple of years in getting me up to Teen Challenge. So like Warren said, my name's Jared, and I grew up in New Brunswick in a family of four. And I grew up in a Christian family, and I had asked the Lord into my heart at a young age. And uh, growing up, I had a pretty happy childhood. As I got older, I developed a need to fit in, which led me to start smoking. And not long after, drinking and marijuana followed. And soon I was using amphetamines and hallucinogens and prescription meds and just anything that could get me high recreationally with my friends. And uh, during high school, I just life was just a big party. And it was not long before, or long, long after, I became very depressed. And it was probably as a result of all the chemicals I was putting into my brain. And I just felt life was utterly hopeless. And I desired an end to it all, but could find no way out. And I remember uh, just laying in bed at night, wishing that God would just uncreate me. And I felt very trapped. And uh, during this depression, I had tried uh, opiates and uh, noticed that opiates took away my anxiety and depression and, in my mind, function in society. So I started using them on weekends and then to help me at work and then soon just because it felt good. And it was not very long after that that uh, I realized I just wasn't using them to feel good, but I needed them to feel good. And uh, without even realizing it, I had become physically addicted to uh, opiates. And uh, I can remember when I f realized I was addicted, but by then it was, it's too late, like you're, you're in trouble. And I remember during this time, my father had actually developed cancer and uh, I was terrible. I just borrowed money from him and uh, stole his pain medications. And uh, even when he died, the first thing I did was just take all the liquid morphine out of the house and use it. And I was all out of it at his funeral. And about after my dad died, I uh, went to detox, and I was there for a couple weeks and got weaned off drugs, but uh, was out and back at it in no time. And uh, when I was at 
detox, one of, they told me about methadone and recommended I go on methadone replacement therapy. And so eventually I did, and uh, getting on methadone, I got my life back in the sense I was holding down a job, I was mentally feeling a lot better and being a functioning member of society. And for a while, those uh, changes in my life, you know, kept me uh, busy, but uh, I soon realized that I had just replaced drug addiction with another drug. And uh, I didn't get high off of methadone like I did with the other drugs, so I started drinking more and using cocaine. So now I was addicted to methadone and using more drugs. So through years of this, uh, I... Uh, lost a lot of stuff, you know, my sanity jobs, places to live, liver function, you name it. And anyway, I took, I was on methadone for 15 years when one day God intervened in my life. And I was uh, sitting on my bed one day watching TV and I wasn't thinking about nothing, just another day chilling on my bed, zoned out watching TV. And all of a sudden I just had this presence, I could just feel the presence. Something was different, and I remember just kind of like, whoa, what's happening now? And I just was flooded with thoughts in my head of, you can be the man I want you to be. You can have a better life. You can, you know, you don't have to live like this anymore. And I remember thinking, you know, well, what about the drugs? And I remember just getting a feeling in my head that said, just trust me. So, I don't know if I really trusted God or I just took a blind leap off a cliff, but on the methadone program, if you don't go get your stuff after three days, you are withdrawn from the program. So, I did that and there was no going back. And I did well for a few months and had a new desire to please God after what he had done for me, but soon was making a mess of my life again. And God had freed me from opiates, and I was actually quite afraid of them and refused to use them, but that did nothing to stop me from cocaine and alcohol. And the church I was sporadically going to saw my downward spiral and suggested Teen Challenge. And the last year before TC, I seemed to be hell-bent on my destruction. I spent time in hospitals, holding cells. My apartment had become an absolute mess, garbage and drug paraphernalia. And it wasn't even safe for people to come inside and walk around. And I would always talk to visitors outside. And then one day I got a visitor from my church. Now the church I'd been going to, it was just across the street from my apartment. And uh, I went there for about one year and never met anybody. I, like, I remember walking in there and like, nobody said hi to me. Nobody nodded their head at me not even the pastor himself. And I had so much social anxiety, I couldn't get myself to talk to anybody either. Anyway, after about a year of this, I remember going to church one day. And I mean, for, I was pretty desperate to be going to church because like, I was pretty messed up. So for me to get myself out of bed on a Sunday morning after being drugged out of it all weekend, I was desperate. And I remember going one Sunday and said to God, God, if nobody says hi to me today, then I'm just going to have to find another church, I guess. So uh, the service came and went, and I sat through it completely alone. And uh, anyway, when the service was over, I got up to go, and I said to myself, well, this is it. At that very moment, 
I heard someone yelling, hey, hey, in my direction, and I kind of turned around, and there's this young fella just beelining in my direction, and he came up and introduced himself as Jeremy and asked if I wanted to go for coffee, and because of that one little act of kindness, I ended up staying in that church, ended up meeting a whole bunch of people, and uh, they paid to, for me to go to t Teen Challenge. So, uh, yeah, and uh, the woman that had come to my apartment that day, her name was Elizabeth, who I met through the church, and she came almost every weekend to just see if I was still alive and was really good to me. Anyway, uh, she had told me that at the, she had come to visit me to tell me that at prayer meeting that week, out of nowhere, as the pastor stood up and said they'd pay for me to come to Teen Challenge. And over the next few months after that, you know, everything that came in my way, God took care of. Like, he got me to doctors, he got me to the money I needed, you know, he just was really, really good to me. And, uh, just one small story, like just before I came to Teen Challenge, I went to another church, my church where I grew up in as a kid, and uh, they were given a, a sermon, and the, their pastor was out on uh, vacation, and it just happened to be the pastor that I had as a kid there. And uh, he got up, and he was kind of funny when he got up, he said, you know, I had this sermon that I wrote months ago, and he said, I was actually gonna throw it away and, uh, but I felt led to preach it that day, and I was kind of getting that weird feeling in my stomach when he's talking about this. But anyway, that was my last weekend in New Brunswick, and his sermon was called Escape to Freedom, just before I went to Teen Challenge. So, anyway, God has been really, really good in getting me up here, and uh, that day that he told me just to trust him, yeah, you really can trust God, like he's, he is good. And that's all I have to say. We can go a couple slides. There you go. So what makes Teen Challenge unique in comparison to other recovery programs or rehab programs? The following slide shows our personnel are Christian, so they have a real servant attitude, and our staff are skilled in the sense of mentoring and leadership. Going on into our next slide, uh, we have over nine centers across Canada, four in the Ontario region, um, three men's centers and a women's center in Aurora. We got three in the Prairie region, um, two men's centers, one in Alberta, the other one in Saskatchewan, and then there's a women's center also in Saskatchewan. There's a men's center in New Brunswick, and then there's a women's center in, um, I believe it's St. John's, uh, Newfoundland. So we'll go on to the next slide. And then now let's give a hand to Reese as he comes up to share his story. Thanks, Juan. Hi, everybody. Oh, it's loud. So yeah, I got a little bit written down here. So here it goes. Uh, 
There's a place called heaven and a place called hell, a place called prison and a place called jail. And before I came here to Teen Challenge, I was definitely on my way to all of them except one. And without thinking, it's pretty easy to figure out which one. My name is Reese, and this is a little bit of what I encountered in my life in the last 25 years while in active addiction with substance abuse and how it led, uh, how it started and led me to where I am today. I'm 36 and I was born in Brampton. When I was about three, my family decided to move to Cambridge where my parents bought a nice house in a nice neighborhood where I grew up and lived off and on throughout the years. So to take it back from the beginning, let's start with how drugs and this crazy thing called my life began intertwined with the, each other to the man I am standing here today. So to be totally honest, I started experimenting, experimenting with drugs and alcohol before the age of 10 with prescription cough syrup, alcohol, and marijuana, not even really knowing what it was at the time or why I liked it so much. But in any case, needless to say, by the time I arrived in high school in the year 2000, I was already exposed to drugs and alcohol and the feeling they gave me, and I was ready and willing to pretty much experiment with whatever I came across. I also realized that if I started to sell drugs, I could do a lot more of them and not have to pay for them, while still making some pretty decent coin for a kid my age with no job. So from the age of 14, I started selling various drugs, marijuana, then cocaine, and, uh, and various others doing copious amounts, mixing different drugs together and not caring at all for the consequences they may have on me physically or mentally. Um, you name it, I probably did it. There's a, a long list. Um, but it wasn't a weekend that I went, that, well, it wasn't a weekend that went by where I wasn't going absolutely off the chain, polluting my body. It was part of my life. In essence, it was what I was known for. I was an absolute menace, but I loved it. While living like this sometime after high school, I started working, had some pretty decent jobs, paying me a pretty decent wage. And with the money I was getting from selling drugs, money wasn't really an issue. I started going out during the week to clubs and bars underage and partied anytime I wanted to, not caring about any repercussions. I don't really remember how old I was for the year, but it was around this time I started using more Oxycontin. Thinking back on it, I can say it was the beginning of my demise. My closest, dearest friends that I had known and partied with my whole life were even telling me to be careful with that stuff and that was changing my attitude and I was starting to act different and I wasn't the funny, outgoing guy that everybody loved to party with. But I still thought I was good and had everything under control. And this is where everything had changed. I had connected with a guy who I had met at a friend's house. I knew about this guy from his reputation, but this was the first time meeting him. I was around 21 and the opioid epidemic in Canada was out of control and now I'd linked up to be uh, linked up with what turned out to be the best connection I could ever have but the worst friendship that ultimately destroyed me. I was introduced to two things for him, uh, the needle and his stepsister. At the time both were equally dangerous. His stepsister was a pharmacist who loved money and had a perfect system for stealing drugs from the pharmacy. I couldn't have been happier. I had an endless supply of dope and cash rolling in from selling stolen pills and still managed to maintain my job going to college working as an apprentice sheet metal worker. Life in my eyes was still good but in retrospect it really wasn't. I was losing my closest dearest friends and I was uh, getting high all day from dawn to dusk. It didn't matter where I was or what I had to do. Then eventually the inevitable happened. The opioid epidemic in Canada was so bad they faded out the Oxycontin pill that I knew for a different type that made it almost in type to abuse. They also tightened up the way pharmacists and doctors could distribute it. This led to his stepsister not being able to get them anymore and I eventually went on methadone. 
But my addictions to opiates was so strong, I had no interest in quitting. While on methadone, I started using heroin every day to replace the pills I couldn't get, while also drinking excessively, shooting cocaine, and uh, smoking crack. Uh, then when I was about 25 or 26, I got involved in a dangerous relationship with a woman who was just as much an addict as I was. It was around this time when heroin was getting harder to find because the streets were beginning to be introduced to the dangerous drug we know as fentanyl. And with it being the same price as heroin, but with a much bigger bang for your buck, it wasn't hard to decide what to pick from. I was doing much less coke, but this was because the only be the, both of us began smoking meth and then shortly after that began injecting it mixed with our fentanyl. This is when things in my life started to fall apart. I quit my high paying job I had with the Sheet Metal Union after 10 years so I could take my pension out and spend on drugs. The 15 grand lasted me less than a month. I also ruined my credit by taking out loans and not paying them back, totaling in the tens of thousands of dollars. Life was starting to be not so good, but the not so good became a bad nightmare when the woman I was with for four years died suddenly in front of me. Well, to be exact, she died in my arms while I waited for an ambulance. Even though our relationship was filled with a lot of rocky times and resentments, I still loved her very much and was deeply devastated by the loss. I had no idea why or what caused her death at the time, but I later found out she had went into a septic shock brought on by our excessive uh, drug use. After her passing, I became extremely depressed and self-isolated. This only threw gas on the fire and ramped up my already extremely dangerous using. I just didn't care. My life was crumbling. I wasn't working anymore, I was on welfare, and for some time I've been selling meth and fentanyl to support my addiction. Then when I was about 30, the inevitable happened. I became very sick and didn't know what was wrong with me. After a few days of misery, I made a call to 911 and was brought to the hospital in an ambulance. The doctors took some tests and I was diagnosed with a blood infection that attacks the valves in your heart called endocarditis, brought on by my unsafe IV drug use. I was on the verge of dying and still that wasn't enough to stop me from calling it quits. I was heavily medicated on pain, pain meds and still had people dropping me off fentanyl at the hospital where I continued to get high using my pick lines to inject myself. I spent eight weeks there on heavy antibiotics. I was released but still my thought pattern didn't change. I continued using every day and a few months later I was back in the ICU uh, but much more sick than the first time with the same kind of blood infection. Um, while I was there, the second time, they put me on another eight-week round of antibiotics. Um, but I just, the same story, I just didn't care, I was just doing the same old stuff. After the first eight weeks, um, I had a consultation with the surgeon, and uh, he told me I was going to have to have open-heart surgery to repair the valve in my heart that was damaged. Um, two days later, I went under the knife, but the surgery wasn't successful. Nine days later, I would have my sternum sawed in half for the second time. I was mentally and physically beaten. After 16 weeks, two open heart surgeries and 100 different tests, I was discharged from the hospital, but even after everything I had been through, uh, nothing had really changed. I was still crippled mentally and a uh, long time after physically crippled as well. It didn't take longer than a couple weeks before I was back ripping and running, doing the same old thing I always did but it came with much consequences. In the years to follow, I would take another six or seven trips to the ICU, lasting weeks, if not months at a time in the hospital for various reasons, but mainly because of my heart complications led by not caring about my life, not taking the prescribed meds and continuing to use the hard drugs. My rock bottom would come when I was charged and arrested and charged with a serious crime that took place while I was up high on meth and fentanyl. 
After being released, I went to detox where I had two seizures in 15 minutes, lasting for minutes at a time, all from withdrawal because my body didn't know how to work without having drugs in it. Uh, it was around that time in detox I started to really think about my life and realized that I've been blessed with so many opportunities to change that I never took advantage of. I've escaped the claws and death escaped the claws of death and hell too many times to count. There's only so many times I can test the patience of God and his amazing grace I was being offered. I knew I had to surrender and leave this dangerous lifestyle I was living. Just a year before, I was kicked out of my, the first rehab I went to, and I knew I needed a much more structured environment. My sister suggested a place I knew nothing about called Teen Challenge. It was recommended by a friend of my sister who had graduated the women's program in Aurora. I was skeptical at first because I read about how Teen Challenge was a Christ Center program and I had zero interest or knowledge about Christ, religion, and the way of life I could be living. But I swore to myself I would at least keep an open mind and every day since the first day I started the program on April 4th, my connection to God and the Holy Spirit has only grown stronger. I surrendered myself and accepted Christ as my Savior on May 22nd. I just knew in my heart it was what I wanted to do and now today I can honestly say I don't and will never forget the, regret the decision I made to be here. Uh, I've started to have a strong relationship with Christ and know it's going to last me the rest of my life and take me to a higher place I can ever get from drugs and alcohol. This month I'll have nine months clean, the longest in my life. And thank you. Thank you. And along with this, my dearest relationships with my family and oldest, closest friends is being restored every day. People that thought I was lost forever have seen me crawl out of the deepest, darkest valley to the highest, brightest mountaintop. And I give all the praise and glory to my one true King, Jesus Christ. Thank you. I just want to finish with uh, one scripture uh, from 1 Timothy. It's chapter 1, uh, 15 to 17. It's, uh, this is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. All honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen. Thank you. Awesome. So let us be a resource for you. Just like the stories we heard today, uh, if you know anybody that's struggling with addiction, let us be that person that uh, meets them in the gap. Um, the following slide, get help today. Um, when they call that phone number, it's not just someone in a call center that they're calling. They're actually calling a former Teen Challenge graduate. Um, they know uh, the manipulation, the excuses, the reasons not to go to a rehab program or whatsoever. But the guys in the intake department do an intensive review and an interview with the potential student of the program so that they are sure to be part of the program. If you guys are interested, we do have resources at our table that you can take with you um, so you can start that conversation. Our next slide. Our program is hard. Um, we can just go into the next slide. 
Uh, our first phase is the induction phase. This is where um, the client, the student, will get sober and physically healthy. Uh, number one, routines, daily hygiene, and weight is usually put on in these uh, uh, first four months of the program because usually brushing your teeth is thrown out the window, um, taking a shower and stuff. When um, the addiction takes its place, it's given high priority. And the first four months, in my opinion, is called the abstinence phase. The second phase is the training phase where the client, the student, gets to discover their identity in Christ, work on their testimony a little bit, and see how God's working in their life. And this is more of the obedience phase. The phase three is transition. Is This is where the student will plan where they're going to reconnect with their family, where they're going to work, and where they're going to live. Is it healthy to go back home to mom and dad, or should I actually find a place on my own? Maybe it's transitional living. And we go through those ideas then. And then finally, um, sorry, that was the final phase. And then there's an optional phase after that that's called the phase four. The phase four is six months, and the student will get an honorarium plus room and board. So then they'll get a, a position that they get to work alongside staff and uh, kind of learn the life skills of working in a workplace because most people do come with experience, but there's some people that don't. And then we can go to the next slide. Uh, another slide after that. Yep, there you go. This is another resource that we have for you, changelives.ca. This is another way that you can kind of open the door to the conversation with somebody that you're having a hard time to have that conversation with. These are well-recorded testimony stories that really show the person that went through our program, and um, some of them even up here, uh, the lady in the center, Tracy, she actually um, is the director of one of our women's centers. And then the man over here is Stephen Pendergrass, and he actually graduated the program, went to Bible college, and he actually was running the Ottawa Center for a little while until he had some personal uh, reflection with his children, but these are all stories that you can show to that loved one that you really care about to open that conversation with them. And then we'll go on to the next slide, and this would be the video that I have. Addiction doesn't just happen. The journey to addiction many times begins with tremendous personal hurt, pain, trauma, and despair. And so finding freedom from addiction doesn't just happen either. The journey to recovery okay. begins with loving individuals, daily That's walking okay. with men we and women, the helping one. them to face their past generational wounds, their inabilities to cope, or lack of personal identity, so they can start the transformation into the person they were intended to be. Now this journey of recovery would not be possible if it weren't for the incredible faithfulness and generosity from supporters like you. 
At Teen Challenge, ongoing partnerships are much more than the financial backbone of our ministry. They are a testimony to all those still in addiction that even in the midst of their brokenness, they can know they are worth investing in. By joining the journey and becoming part of our incredible community of monthly supporters, composed of passionate, generous, driven people like yourself, you are not only helping someone on their personal road to recovery, you are becoming a key part of their victory story. Your financial support shows those in our program that you believe there's still hope. It is not too late for help and you are willing to invest in them to help them find it. For any reoccurring monthly or annual amount, join the journey and your support of our 12-month faith-based in-residence program proves to those in our care that past life choices do not have to dictate the future. And that life, purposeful, productive life after addiction is possible. Support Teen Challenge Canada and join the journey today. Visit teenchallenge.ca. to attend church and at first we had a little bit of pushback but then that actually became a regular occurrence for our family through the conviction and the transformation brought by the Holy Spirit my mom and the family we converted and dedicated our faith and we were baptized since then my family has faithfully served in the church but a couple years go by and at 11 years old, I encountered a wolf in sheep's clothing. He caused me great harm, stripping me of my innocence and instilling feelings of guilt and shame. I became a victim of sexual abuse, which left deep trauma affecting my trust, identity, and sense of protection. In high school, I went through the motions of church, uh, playing the drums, singing in the choir, trying to teach Sunday school, and do what mom said. And I tried committing to new life through baptism. However, this marked the beginning of intense challenges, which I was not ready to face. With my siblings moving on into their own seasons of life, I found myself in an environment without immediate discipline. This led me to indulge in a secretive lifestyle that my family was unaware of. I sought pleasure in unhealthy sexuality, substance abuse, and engaged in promiscuous behavior. During this period of time, I developed beliefs and interpretations that contradicted the promises I once held, effectively leading a double life. Six years ago, I sought out treatment for the first time with the belief that this addiction could be cured. However, my ego hindered my progress and I so soon returned to a secretive double life. On the outside, despite appearing successful and full of potential to my circle, I believed within myself to be unworthy, lost, and a failure. I ran away from home one day and didn't keep in touch with my family for about three years. 
it was on and off. They'll see me at special occasions and stuff like that. But one day my brother approached me and said, there's something wrong with you and I want to help you. I love you, bro. It was hard for me to say that I needed help, so I turned away. Eventually, I came to my senses, though. I returned home that, um, taking apart, oh, um, this was a Friday night. I heard a voice in my head saying, go home, go to your mom's house. And I didn't listen to it. I said, no, I'm not going home. I want to do my thing. Saturday, the entire day, the voice kept on saying, go to your mother's house. I didn't understand what was going on. And then Sunday, finally, I was like, you know what? I'm listening. I'm going to go to my mother's house. Go to my mother's house. I opened the door. I thought she changed locks by then. But I see my entire family, my three brothers, my sister, my mother, all their kids on their knees praying, bring Warren home. <laughs> this is not by accident. This is not coincidence. This is God. We prayed together and we agreed to seek help. I, I acknowledge that I could no longer do this on my own. Last year, March 8th, 2022, with the support of my older brothers, I arrived at Teen Challenge. I regained that trust from them and embraced the belief that God was really, really in the work of something new in my life. Like the prodigal son in the biblical story, I had chosen to disobey and squander my blessings on worldly pursuit. I had firsthand experienced the life of the prodigal son, literally eating out of the garbage. Today, I am grateful to say that I completed the Teen Challenge program, I did the Phase 4 program, and currently I'm doing the Phase 5 program. This transformative experience allowed me to appreciate the beauty of life and be grateful for those who actually accompanied me on, on the way through this journey. In the moments of doubt and the desire to quit, I remember those people who sacrificed literally everything for my well-being, hoping for my improvement and personal growth without seeking anything out of it. And now I possess that same hope that words can't adequately describe. Deep within me, I know that it's only through God that I'm free from that anxiety. I'm free from my previous traumas. And I trust whatever he has planned for me is, is definitely going to be amazing. And is going to bring great pleasure to him. So right now, I'm the student life assistant uh, at Teen Challenge. And if this was two years ago and you said, Warren, you're going to gain about 50 pounds, you're going to not fit in any of your old clothes anymore, and you're going to be speaking in front of a church, I'll call you a liar. <laughs> but the Lord has ways of bringing the dead to life. Right? So going into our next slide, what we get to celebrate every single day at Teen Challenge is changing lives every day. Thank you.
Thank you, Warren. And uh, thank you, Jared and, and Reese and uh, Damien as well for being here. Uh, it's at this time, I, I would like to welcome uh, the four of you to the front. If I could also call on the pastor's council to come forward, I would just like to lift up prayer for these four gentlemen who are embarking on a journey that is life-altering, that is the only thing that inspires lasting change. So if I could call on the pastor's council uh, to come forward and, and, and lay hands as we pray for these gentlemen. Andrew, if I could have you pray for these gentlemen as we lay hands. Lord God, I thank you that you change lives. Lord, that you reach us where we're at. And Lord, that you don't give up on us. Now, Lord, I thank you for these men that have shared their testimony. Lord, I pray that you would give them strength each day. To, to move forward. Lord, that you would use them, use their skills and talents and their, their life and their abilities, their desires and hopes and dreams. Lord, I pray that you would use them mightily to reach many for you. Lord God, I pray that you would give them strength and perseverance. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be upon them and anoint them and fill them. Lord, that they would have the boldness to, to, to speak about the changes that your love and your grace have done in their lives. Lord God, I pray that you would give them remembrance and strength. Lord, that they would take one day at a time. Lord, that they would step and realize that you love them. And Lord, when they fall, and they will, just like all of the rest of us, Lord, that they would get right back up again and say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, that then when they look at their lives, they will see that the fruit of the Spirit is growing. And Lord, give them love and joy and peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, temperance-based, self-control. Lord, you are so good. Amen. It's at this time that I'm, I'm going to close the service uh, with a very, very quick benediction. Uh, Warren, you had mentioned that you uh, had experienced baptism. I don't know if the other gentlemen have had the pleasure of experiencing baptism, but this passage was put on my heart uh, as, as I was sitting there listening, especially the closing verse in this passage of Matthew 3 which is about the baptism of Jesus. And, and I, I will share this with everyone, but I want you four gentlemen to hear this. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, Immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And hear this, and behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. 
brothers, you are doing the greatest thing. You are embarking on the greatest journey, and you are venturing towards the baptism, both in water and of the Spirit, and you are venturing towards heaven, and God is saying to you, you are my son in whom I am well pleased. Carry on this pursuit, because God is going to bless you richly. I'm going to close with prayer, and we will go about our, our Sunday uh, together uh, or, or separate, but we will go with the Spirit of the Lord. In Jesus' name, Lord, we pray. Lord, we thank you for the testimony that is given this morning. Lord, we know that as we hear the testimony of these men who stand upon this, this uh, stage and, and, and give glory to you, Lord, that, that it is not a matter of looking to, to the triumph or the, the challenge of what it is that they were facing, but Lord, it is solely in testimony to the goodness and the glory and the mercy and the grace and the power of God above all things. Lord, that you would be exalted, that you would be lifted up in their lives. Lord, that they would recognize that their pursuit is solely of you, O Heavenly Father. Lord, that there are things in this world that will come to, to, to steal, to kill, destroy. There are things in this world that will seek to rob them of, of the, the sobriety, that, that will seek to rob them of the progress, that will seek to rob them of their salvation. But Lord, that it promises us in your word that no one shall be plucked from your hand. Lord, that as long as they keep their eyes trained on you, you will not let them sink beneath the waters. But Lord, that they will experience the goodness and the joy and the mercy of God for every day of their lives. And Lord, that they will experience it not just on this side of eternity, but the next. And so Lord, this is my prayer for each and every single one who finds himself in this uh, sanctuary this morning, in this congregation this morning, or those who will watch online. Lord, I just pray. Uh, Lord, that you would touch their lives and inspire lasting impact, that you would seek their soul, that you would seek their spirit, and Lord, as they seek you and, and, and open their life to you, Lord, that you would come in and you would flood like a river, Lord, that you would infiltrate every facet of our living, every facet of our being, that you would cleanse us from all sin and unrighteousness, and you would make us holy, white like snow, as we call upon uh, the, the, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross to for, for forgiveness of sin. We pray this in Jesus' name this morning. Amen. Hey, Lighthouse family. Thanks so much for tuning in to another one of our podcast sermons. I'm Pastor Joel Sloss. For more podcasts, media, and live stream services at lighthouseniagara.com, Sundays at 10 o'clock. God bless.